Welcome to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast with your hosts, Danny and Vanessa Panzella Velez. Join us and special expert guests as we discuss love, sex, parenting, psychedelics, and spirituality. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, please visit us at Patreon.com slash SovereignLoveStream. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. <laughs> it, it just, it never ceases. No matter how much preparation, there's always some little technical glitch at the beginning of the show. It never ceases. It's okay. We made it. We made it. Happy Sovereign Sunday, everyone. Happy Sovereign Sunday and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Yes, happy Mother's Day to you, Thank the future you. mother of my children <laughs> and the current mother of my son. <laughs> Vanessa may not technically be his mother, but she has adopted her into her heart as adopted her him. own. Adopted <laughs> him into her heart as her own. And you know what? He has adopted you yes, into his heart exactly. as your own. Yes. A little funny story. He was playing video games with Vanessa and one of his friends, um, you know, through the internet, they, they play together. And his friend was like, oh, that's so cool that your stepmom plays video games with you. And Vanessa said that Xander got a little uncomfortable when he said that. And so she was afraid that he was uncomfortable with, I don't know, like her being associated with a mom figure. And I had asked him about it a couple of days later. And he goes, no, I just felt weird because she's not like a stepmom. She's like my second mom. So, <laughs> So Xander has adopted Vanessa as his mom as well, his second mom. Yeah. So happy Mother's Day. Thank you. I love you. You do an amazing job being a mother. Thank you. You have <laughs> helped remother me. I have watched you help remother your family and Xander and pretty much everyone you come into contact with. You have that mothering energy. So thank you. Thank you. For <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you. And thank you to all the moms out there that do all the mom work. Um, it's very, very difficult. Um, I do the mom work part time, as in Xander's with me part time. But there's still all this other behind the scenes work that happens when he's not here, too, that involves um, parenting. Um, but it's difficult. It's difficult as, you know, as someone who get who like physically parents half of the week that feels overwhelming sometimes. So I can only imagine what parents who parent 24 seven do. Mm. So it's, it's a huge job and I'm grateful to all the moms, to my mom, to my sister, to all of the women in my life that 
are also like moms to me. So thank you. Aho. Aho. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Sovereign Sunday. Welcome to another episode of the Sovereign Love Stream. Yes. And today I'm excited about our show because this is going to be a really cool show. So my buddy, um, I've known Paul for a long, long time. I don't remember exactly how long, but <laughs> it's like 15, 20 years, something like that. Um, and he recently just um, decided to dip his foot into the psychedelic pool. <laughs> and he has a really amazing story. Uh, he had a near-death experience shortly after his psychedelic experience. And he has a really awesome story. And so I'm really happy that he is here to discuss it with us. Let me bring him up on the on the stream. Hey, Paul. Hi. Yeah, don't, don't zoom in like that again. Hi, Vanessa. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. So, Paul, how let's let's first start with what made you decide to dip your foot into the psychedelic pool? Uh, I'm going to say, honestly, somewhere around five years ago uh, when I was in a relationship with a previous ex, I'm going to be saying, I should say X1, X2. I don't want to complicate <laughs> the story, but uh, the uh, ex relationship prior to the one that I, I just got out of recently, uh, we were having issues. Uh, it was very toxic. And uh, I, I, for some reason, I was streaming, you know, looking who's a narcissist on YouTube. And I came across uh, psychedelic uh, or ayahuasca, like all these different videos of people who said that they were dealing with, uh, whether it was, uh, addiction or, you know, toxic relationships or childhood issues. And they went in therapy for 20 plus years and they, they went and they did psychedelics. And they said in the one session, they got more out of that session than they did in the 20 years combined. And, uh, that got me very excited to try it. Uh, you know, of course, I was asking the girl, you know, my ex at the time, this, we should do this. We should go to Peru. She said, are you crazy? You know, anyway, she had no interest. And then ironically, somewhere like a year later, Danny's posting that you and him are in Peru. And I'm like, oh, my God, I actually called him knowing he was there. And he picked up, which I was shocked. And I said, I can't believe you're in Peru. I wanted to do this. I can't believe it. And he said, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, we'll do it when I get back. But if I let you guys go, and I didn't want to take too much of time out of your vacation. But uh, that was four years ago. And uh, for four years, I was thinking about it. Of course, now I was in the beginning stages, the love bombing stages of my new relationship. Now, I don't know who was the love bomber and who wasn't, but it doesn't matter. The point was, I was feeling like I don't need it now. I've got a new start, a new person. Not saying that I still wasn't intrigued for my childhood issues, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I wanted to do right away. Right. But, uh, I'm going to say wasn't something as like, much of a pressing need, right? You yeah, were, exactly. When you were in the toxic situation with X number one, there was a more pressing need, like, oh, yes. I've got to solve these problems. Now you're in the honeymoon phase of the next relationship. And it's kind of like all the trauma stuff goes to the background. Cause you're like in the love, it, like, yeah, oh, like things are working. Like if it isn't broke, don't try and fix it kind of attitude. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, two years down the line, that relationship started turning toxic as well. And I was kind of bringing it up to her to go. And she was like, again, same as the first, no, I'm not interested. Uh, and then we finally broke up and, you know, I immediately contacted you and it still took a couple of months because I had a lot of fear, 
even though all of the videos that I saw were very positive, and if someone brought up a negative or a bad trip, they didn't express it as anything scary. But I also have my whole life where I hear on the news or through people saying, oh, this guy was on some sort of psychedelic and he jumped out the eighth floor window of a building. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I did, I kind of was thinking like, you know, could that happen to me? And uh, when you guys said that you guys wouldn't be under the, under any influence that you'd be there to hold space for me and that you make sure that I was safe and that everything would be fine. And believe me, everything's going to be fine. I, I was still thinking, well, I could push Vanessa over <laughs> with a light push. Danny, maybe, you know, a little bit harder, but I, I could get away from him if I really want to. So I mean, there was definitely some fear there. So uh, that's what took so long for me to eventually do it, even when I didn't have anyone holding me back. It still took an additional two or three months. With that said, uh, you know, I don't know if you want me to just dive into like the first thing I would want to say if, if someone is even contemplating trying psychedelics in a therapeutic manner, I strongly urge you to do it. It was there was nothing scary about it. There was no no feeling of a high or a buzz. I mean, I've never done any drugs in my life. I mean, pot once in every two or three years, you know, no, no sort of influence. Alcohol, that was always a lot, but uh <laughs> I didn't feel under the, I mean, it's so weird to say, cause I, I felt like I was obviously under the influence of something, but it didn't feel like a high and it almost like a switch. I could shut it off and go, okay, that was weird. And, and then discuss it and then turn the switch back on and go right back into that. That And I really thought it was just a, a dream. Like it's almost like controlling a dream. Is yeah. What it's, it's like lucid dreaming. Yeah. Because you do have control and you're able to come out at any moment, right? And sit up and say, okay, I need a break for a second. Let me just, you know, and in that moment, let me just talk about this for a second and, and then go back in. And, uh, you know, as I'm going to describe what, what I went through, first of all, again, you guys could share more than me uh, as far as everyone is going to have a different thing. So what I described that happened to me might not happen to anybody else. Like everyone has their own version of A, what they're looking to get out of it, and B, what their issues are, and how their brain could, I guess, talk to them or unfilter their own thoughts. So it's going to be completely different, in my opinion, everybody who goes through this. So I, I mean, I don't know if you want to kind of throw a word in it to that. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, every, of course, every experience is different. Um, there's also, sorry, our, our dog is here. <laughs> and he's is, starting to whine. <laughs> I'm going to take care of him. While you... um, one of the things that, you know, one of the most important aspects of any type of psychedelic journey is the set and the setting. And so everybody's going to have a different experience depending on their set and setting. What is your intention going into the ceremony? What where are you participating in this ceremony? Are you doing it in a group setting? Are you doing it in a, a solo setting? Um, do you have somebody that is there to for for um, to hold space for you, to take care of you, to bring you water, to make sure that all of your needs are met in the moment? And all of that shifts your experience. Um, I, I mean, I've heard people have horrible experiences um, in group settings sometimes. Um, it depends on the facilitators. It depends on how they're prepared for it. So there are, you know, it, there are so many different um, ways it can, it can play out. It all really just depends on the set and the setting. I got you. In my opinion. Yeah, totally. All right. So uh, basically going into what, what happened with me, uh, it, it's, it's so 
The first thing I want to say, it is so difficult to put into words what actually happened. So I'm going to do my best. Uh, the only thing I could say is that, you know, first of all, I, I wrote down my intention was to speak to my my childhood self, maybe have a conversation with that childhood self. Uh, I'm not religious, but I'm kind of feel like I'm very spiritual, at least in my own way. Uh, and I, I did want maybe Jesus to be there. And, you know, I, without going on a tangent, I, I had issues when I was four years old where I was in Sloan Kettering and I thought I was going to die. And when I went into this operation, I had a premonition of Jesus. And then through my whole life, I always thought maybe he was there for me. And, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm 51 now, not knowing I'm going to die in a few weeks, but <laughs> I, I was kind of looking to bring possibly Jesus into my life at some sort. So that was another goal. And uh, the first thing that happened is, like I said, I wrote down what I kind of feel like my some of my trauma is going through childhood and even into adulthood. Because the trauma is, I feel like my childhood trauma is, I, I've kind of gotten a grasp on and I'm working on them but I feel like they also kind of shifted into adult traumas that maybe not based wholly on what happened in childhood, but like in an adult level for different reasons, I, I had a lot more trauma, you know, I'm going to say in my thirties and forties uh, in these toxic relationships. So uh, with that said, like, you know, I, I wrote these things down and I was kind of reading them to you and Danny, because I was just trying to get myself into that mindset of safe, safeness and and you know mm -hmm. i guess safe is just the best word i could uh use and as it started to affect me the first thing i want to say is that it's like you almost are watching two realities simultaneously and you could choose which one you want to see mm -hmm. and i'm just going to give a brief example like that's a really vanessa, great way to put it actually <laughs> vanessa is talking to me and like there's two things going on simultaneously and again you just can't describe it but it's like your normal reality. I'm looking at Vanessa right now, right now on the on the on the video. Mm -hmm. Her hair isn't moving, right? Nobody sees it. And one part is I see a wormhole, like a spinning suction in the corner of the room. <laughs> and her hair on the left, well, it would be my right side, but her left side is getting sucked into the corner. And I I said, Vanessa, hold on. I, I think <laughs> I'm starting to feel something because your hair is getting sucked into the corner of the room. But at the same time, I see your hair in, in the relaxed position it is now, but at the same time, which makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like for two seconds, it's going up. And then if I think, is it going up? Then it doesn't go, then it goes back down. But if I wanted to go back up again, I could just turn it on and off like a switch. So that was like the first sense of it happening. So Danny had said, like, go over to the couch. All right. It's affecting you. You know, let's, you know, we're going to just sit here and watch. If you have any questions, don't hesitate, you know, lay down and close your eyes. And without getting into too much, you know, it took a half hour for me to do that. I, I just kind of felt like a little nervous uh, about how, what was going to happen if I closed my eyes, but I really should have just shut them. But, uh, you know, as I left them open, I was feeling different things for a half hour, but I, I don't want to take too much time going over that. It wasn't important. The real shift happened when I laid down. I laid down, I closed my eyes, I, you know, I folded my hands across my chest and I just relaxed and I started concentrating on my breathing and uh, Danny put on Alan Watts, I believe it was his name. Uh, I guess it's just a, a, what do you call it, an audio of something that you could listen to when you're on these psychedelics. It's an Alan Watts remix. <laughs> okay, whatever it was. 
So uh, what, what started off was, uh, you know, he's basically talking about breathing. And I kind of, I heard him, but I wasn't really listening. I was just, I guess, sitting with myself and saying, you know, I really want to speak to my childhood self and you know, really thinking. And I, I don't think I was doing that for more than, I'm going to say, like a minute or two. And then Alan Watts started to just not he stopped talking and then like music came on and that music was like i don't know like a soft spiritual sounding uh song whatever it was and i found myself laying on like a tall beautiful it was like beautiful blades of grass and first i see it like as if i'm standing and looking at it like it's a picture then i'm instantly now i'm laying down on the ground of course i didn't walk over to any certain spot and lay down. I just poof, now I'm laying down. <laughs> and I look up and I see kind of at the distance of where the moon would be, I see what looks to be like Jesus. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then another great distance, like the distance to the sun, is the sun. So I'm laying there. And as I'm laying there, my body starts rising up, like as it's going towards Jesus. Okay, I'm going to say I get halfway there and Jesus turns into, I'm going to say the stereotypical, uh, what you would think God would look like if it wasn't a person. It would just like a very bright white light in like a meshing of clouds. And I'm moving closer and closer and closer. And again, you don't know this until you experience it. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to. Just give me a second to shut the phone off. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We have done that beforehand. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> oh my God, that was asking me. Oh my God, I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm hoping it goes off, but we'll see. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. So again, as your first experience in it, <sighs> As you're first experiencing this for the first time, you don't know what's going to happen. I feel like, and this is where I want to, again, I, I'm so sorry that I'm diverging from the conversation. I don't know if you ever heard this before or, or seen this, is that your conscious mind, which is yourself, who you are, who you know yourself to be, being awake, riding an elephant, and the elephant is the subconscious. So what I'm basically, ah, there it is. What I'm basically <laughs> trying to say is that, you know, your conscious mind, everything you think you know about yourself and all the answers when you're talking to yourself, you're talking to your conscious mind. But your subconscious mind is the one that has really all of the answers, but it, it doesn't let you know about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least not consciously. Well, so I would say, I would say just to kind of technically it's constantly trying to tell us those things. It's constantly broadcasting those messages, but our conscious mind is not always paying attention. And that's really what mindfulness is about. It's about paying attention to your body because your, your subconscious mind speaks to you through your body. It speaks to you in all sorts of different ways. Um, but our society and the way we're raised we're we're not, we're no longer taught to pay attention to those things. So we miss, so much of the communication from our subconscious. Absolutely. So what I'm trying to say is as I'm going through all of these things that I'm going to describe today, it's like I'm, I'm coming up and it's Paul. So it's my conscious mind is getting close. There's fear, like I'm getting a little anxiety, nothing tremendous, but it's saying, wow, I'm going to talk to God and this is going to be great or I'm going to talk to Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm happy, but very fearful. And then yeah. as I came into the cloud of God, and I, I think I'm going to see him walk up to me, 
my subconscious tells my conscious because it's actually like an active conversation that's going on. It's and the subconscious actually feels like the conscious now. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like there's two yous, two yous. To you, I don't know, whatever. I never did good in English in school. There's anyway. two yous, all right? <laughs> it's all good. Okay. So the two yous were having a conversation. So they, and they're not having a, But it's almost like breaking each other's chops on who's going to be right. And maybe that's my personality <laughs> interjecting into both. But it's like, I'm like, if this is what it's going to be because I know the answer. If it's there were two Paul Pepitones, they would definitely be arguing over who's right. Yes, exactly. So the first one. <laughs> My conscious mind is thinking what I think it's going to be, and I know I'm going to be right. And then my subconscious turned around. And again, I'm going to be very careful as I say this, because while I say I'm not religious, it doesn't mean that I don't believe in God or I don't believe in Jesus, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm still working on what I believe. And I'm not going to say what it is, because that's really what it's about. Uh, but my, the message I got was like almost you're equal to to God, like he, God is important, but you're God. And it's almost like, that's why I say there's a third person there and that's source. Mm -hmm. Source was not even saying it. And it was like the conscious and the source was saying, no, Paul, don't listen to you. We're going to move through this. This is not the problem. It's a, it's a, there's a place for it in, in your world, but it's not going to solve your problem. Your problem is further. You need a different answer. So then I, I and it, it almost felt a little a little bit elating. Again, I'm gonna give you levels because I'm a one two ten guy. It was like a level one. Like wow, what was that? Like I don't need God. I, I don't need. That doesn't make sense to me. But I moved past it, and I'm now I'm halfway to the sun. Anyway, I hit like a glass top. And from now on, I'm like this happened six times, and then the final story, which I want to go into more detail. Pretty much this happened six times. I hit, I hit a wall, then I end up feeling like I'm going to be in like a spacesuit and I'm looking out like a vent and I can't get out. And my conscious is starting to yell at that. I see like a head stuck in what looks like an astronaut suit. Like let's make believe there's a human being in there. And I know it's me. Like I even checked myself the first time. Like I waved my arms around and the guy in the astronaut suit was waving his arms around. So I knew it was me. So my conscious was saying, you see, you're stuck. Oh, you have all the answers. See, you are stuck. You see your own problems. You know, maybe you're not good enough and that's why. And maybe you need to work on yourself to be better. And then my conscious came sweeping in and said, like said, oh, no, no, you're a good person. You deserve to be. And my, con my subconscious was saying, no, you deserve to be free. And then my conscious started agreeing with my subconscious. And they're both like, yeah, get out of there. And then boom, then it would pop and I was freed. Wow. And now, now then a new you were saying you went through six levels of this and then the final level was the seventh. So each time was like a different, you were freed from a different limiting belief or no, fear? I'm going to say it was, I'm going to say it was the same exact belief that started off as an unknown and then grew in strength and meaning to say you, you, you feel trapped. It's a little worse. It got, a, it got scarier each time. And then uh. when I was finally freed, the message came through. So again, six times I end up trapped in, in like being held back and can't get out. And, and my, in, the first time my conscious said, no, no, no. And my subconscious like got me out of it. And then the second time, both my conscious and subconscious were saying, no, we did this before. You don't deserve to be in there. I look at it as you are, you do have value. You are worthy of love. You know, you do, 
you are, you know, you are who you are, you know, everything, there's nothing to fear. I kind of felt like there's nothing to fear because I had that overwhelming, again, it started off the first time as a level one, but when I got to the sixth story, I mean, the fear was tremendous, almost like I couldn't breathe. It was like tremendous. And I, the message was, how do, how do you get to get rid of this? And then now the seventh story happens, which is nothing like the first six, but I, you feel like it's the answer. Mm. Like everything becomes beautiful and you're like, uh-oh, what's going on here? There's no more <laughs> fear. You know, there's this tremendous tree. I can only compare it to uh, Jack and the Beanstalk type of tree. The, uh, the bark, I would say, was like 20 feet wide and it went to the sky like a fairy tale. It was like 10,000 feet high tree. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a Christmas tree, but it had that, you know, triangular shape. And the last branch, or I should say the first branch off the floor was really long. Let's just say it went out 100 feet. And every like 20 feet, there was like three tremendous leaves. And then another 20 feet of just the branch. Then three tremendous leaves. Then another 20 feet of branch. And I'm looking around. This is so beautiful. Like, what does it mean? I, I don't know what this means. But I start feeling like I'm the tree. But... You know, just slightly, I, I still didn't know what it was. And I look all the way to the right and I see my two ex-girlfriends on the last leaf. And I'm like, what are they doing out there? I just, it's not making any sense to me. It, it really isn't making sense to me. But then I see a silhouette of a man coming towards those two women, um, my two exes. And again, as, as the man gets to them the same way as I got to Jesus. I'm, I'm feeling fear. It's like, uh-oh, what is this? And as it passed, as the man passes, I don't want to say through them, but he walked past them and went to the third leaves out. I got this overwhelming feeling. Again, my conscience is sitting there like has all the answers. <laughs> oh my God. It's source is telling me, or I'm getting the message that you're this jealous, controlling psycho guy that fears his girl talking to men because then he's going to lose them because you don't feel as good as or worthy of having her. So you're going to lose to, and while my con, while, while my, uh, my, my conscience is saying that I'm like, I, I feel like, Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Like, do I have to call my exes and apologize? It was me. I had this epiphany. Thankfully my conscience jumped in. <laughs> And my con and I don't know if this is the part where I'm going to say this, where I, I hate to bring up the analogy of the matrix, but I feel like in one second, because what I'm going to say, you're going to say, how did you get that in two seconds? It was like a shotgun of like five paragraphs of information that you just knew instantaneously. Mm -hmm. So what I felt was my, my conscious knowing, knowing. Okay. I'll learn the verbiage, <laughs> but the knowing was my conscious said, no, Paul, listen, Everything that you feared when you were disrespected and what these girls were doing in front of you, not that it made them bad girls or anything, was there. they had their own issues that they needed attention and that even if you were healthy, like my conscience is saying, even if you were the healthiest man alive, you would have felt pain in that, that that was disrespectful. And, you know, the guy thought you wants is some of the guys turn to you and say, oh, my God, are you guys in an open relationship? That's how forward you know, some of my exes were that they thought that maybe this is something we do. Mm -hmm. But anyway, in, in that instantaneous thing, it was like, oh, okay, so that's the answer. So now for a second, my conscience was like, oh, yes, it was them. I was right. Like, 
I'm, I'm great. And then no, my conscience jumped in and said, no, idiot. That's just not the problem. <laughs> I mean, it, it almost said it like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a jokester. My personality is a jokester. So the whole thing was a little, almost like a comic relief routine uh, going on in my head. But anyway, so it moves past that. So now, now, now he goes from the second set of leaves to the, the third set of leaves to the second set of leaves. And then there's just, again, it goes back to this fear. There's nothing there. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing. And I just have a thought in my mind. Do I fear men? Do I fear fighting? Is it, is that I feel like, and then I started hearing my exes saying, you would never speak to a guy this way. Or why didn't you say something to the guy? And and sometimes I have said stuff to men, but most times I don't because I don't want to validate what they're seeing. Because if I kind of look like, oh, like this is harmless. I love her. This is fine. Then it looks like, oh, she's just overpersonable. And that, because if he doesn't get freaked out about it, then it's not what I'm seeing. If I fight or say, oh my God, get away from her, then it's like, oh my God, he sees what I see. I don't want to validate the guy. So, and, and again, growing up, I don't know what it was like through my life. I could never hit a guy. Like I've been punched in the face. I've been beat up in real life. Although that only happened twice. Uh, I just... I, I I just never got up to fight. And it wasn't that I wasn't strong. And some of these people were half my size. Like I knew I could have. You're a fact, lover, Andy, not a fighter. That's I, okay. Matter of fact, Andy, you smacked me once. But I won't even think. <laughs> you know what's funny is that another, another story is coming to mind where we were at the marina at Jeff's. Oh, in the car. Do you remember that? Yes. Where some guy started to talk crap and. I went like I was gonna fight, and yeah, because Lord no, like trying to pull me back, well, which is out of character for me because it's only because I was drinking that I was even willing to do that. Because I'm the same way. I'm not. In, we've talked about it in the show before that. Yeah, I've always run from fights, but that just came to mind while you were saying that. Yeah, there's only one time in my life that I, I stuck up for myself, and I almost destroyed two kids in two seconds, and it actually scared me. But I don't. That we're going off track. But I've actually had dreams where I get punched. And I go to punch, and it's like someone's holding my hand. It's like I can't. Yeah. And I'm like, and then I'll wake up, and I'm like, what is that? So somewhere in there, again, now, so my conscious mind is saying, you, I don't want to say the p word, like you're scared of men, and you're a woman bully, and you would never talk to a man, so whatever. And then, of course, my subconscious, thank, thankfully, saved the day again and said, no, 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 no. Listen, you do the right thing. You always try and stay on a mature, mature ground. You don't know what you, know, you could beat a guy up tomorrow and then he might come back and stab you tomorrow if it's the wrong guy. I know that's a crazy way of looking at it. Uh, but it, that the point was that wasn't the answer. It wasn't that I was fearful of men. So, and again, it felt another elating moment of like a level one. And then like the, the man started getting, you know, to the first branch, like the first leaf. And I'm like, what's supposed to be happening here? And this is where I'm going to say source comes in. Because as he's coming closer to the bark, I'm feeling like I am the tree. And when the guy hits the tree, I hear in a different voice, like both of my, my conscious mind and my subconscious mind was my voice. Mm -hmm. But then I heard like a different voice. And that voice said, Paul, you're not scared of men. You're scared of everything. Then I feel like my body went into the tree in one second, then turned up. And like my mouth opened and the whole bark, which was 20 feet wide, became the most bright, shining, illuminated water shooting up like a, like a spout. 
And it was like releasing out of my mouth anxiety and fear. And the message was, again, like a shot like from the Matrix, is that you've been, I'm going to use the word covertly anxious, like covert anxiety, like that I kept it for myself. Now, I knew I had a little bit of social anxiety that I needed to go to a bar and then not really talk to anyone, say hello to everybody, but get to like almost down the first three so that I could calm down and be okay. Like I knew that about me. So that little piece of anxiety I knew, but I really like in that moment, in that shot, it was, I, I was thinking of all these situations in my life where I'm overthinking. As soon as I hear something, I, you know, I, I'll give a stupid example. It's going to make no sense. Uh, I have a listing appointment tomorrow at one o'clock. I'm going to be like, am I going to be up in time? Should I print out the thing now? Should I do the CMA right this? I'm a realtor, by the way. Should I do this right now? Because I know how I am. If I wait 15 minutes and say, I'm going to do it in 15 minutes, I'm going to be at 1230. Oh my God, I didn't. And, and I'll panic and I'll have anxiety about that. But anyway, I'm, I'm really killing the story here because the best part of the whole story and the whole purpose of this conversation is to say in that moment, as, as this man came through and I thought it was men, I, I, I realized it was everything and that I feared everything and the elating and releasing feeling. I can never, ever, ever describe it. I have one comparison that I won't do <laughs> live on Facebook if, if Danny wants to share it. Uh, I, I can't I can't say that because it's too vulgar, but it's the most amazing feeling. It's not, it's not or vulgar to say that that kind of release is orgasmic. <laughs> That's not. Because I don't, I don't, because I don't even want to say. I'm trying to say is if you've never had an orgasm and you're trying to describe an orgasm to someone who hasn't had one, they're not going to understand. And then I'm going to say times that by a million is what this felt like. And I, I don't want to get religious because I'm not a religious guy, but it's like, what would you feel? You should feel if Jesus put his hand on your head and made you feel that utopian, you know, happiness. Like, like nothing to worry about. I got you feeling is what it felt like for a minute. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that was the first, the first, I'm going to say message. And that message was Paul, you know, there are things to fear in the world, but you shouldn't fear anything. So what I'm trying to say is we all know that gravity exists. If you jump out of a plane without a parachute, I think you should be scared because you're going to hit the ground and die. But if every normal activity in life, everything that you go through, you have to recognize that you're overthinking everything, fearing everything, and putting so much stress and pain on yourself that isn't necessary. Now, the one thing I'm going to say is that that doesn't mean that after this experience, the next day I was cured and now I'm acting in a totally different way. No, I'm still the same person. I'm still fighting with these anxieties. The only difference is I'm actually questioning myself. Like I'll say, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Now I'm recognizing that I'm uncomfortable. I'm asking myself, why am I uncomfortable? And then I'm trying to see where that comes from. And they say that I shouldn't fear it. And I feel like I'm getting that from that moment. Mm -hmm. And the more I do that, the less I'm feeling anxiety. Now, right. I don't, we should jump right into the other thing, but I still have more of this story, but this is a good segue to, I have a heart attack, but before I get into the heart attack, let's just say I'm going out because I think, and this is where I go into the spiritual side of me. I was at somebody's house that I normally regularly wouldn't leave. If I'm at a girl's house and even though we're just friends, like when I'm going to go out to a bar to 
sit against the speak, speaker by myself. Like I was already at a girl's house. So if I'm at a girl's house, I'm not going to leave to go to, out to a bar to meet a cousin. So, but me and my cousin have been meaning to get together, but she had a girlfriend. She didn't need me there. But she's like, come out at 6.30 to see the nerds. And I'm like, oh, I'm here. I don't, I don't want to go see the nerds. But she's been looking to get together. I just feel like I'm supposed to go. So I write to her. I swear, in real time, I write to her, okay, I'll be there. And then I got a feeling. I got to go, but 6.30 is too early. I, this makes no sense. But in my mind, I'm like, if I go at 6.30, maybe it's the crowd. I don't know what the real the feeling is. But my gut, I, I usually never listen to my gut. So I said, you know what? I think 6, I write to my cousin, 6.30 is a little early. I'll go there at 8.30 instead of 6.30. Okay, that says nothing. So now I'm leaving a girl's house that I normally wouldn't do. And instead of going at 6.30 just to get over, over it quick, because I could go there at 6.30, hang out for an hour, say, All right, I'm going, and then go back to the girl's house, but I don't do that. I go at 8.30. I go in at 8.30. Uh, something sets off the heart attack. I don't want to get into that, but I'll leave that alone. But I, I'm, I walk to the bathroom, and I'm starting to feel pain. Uh, anyone that knows me, anyone that knows me, knows that I have a fear of doctors. I was in the hospital when I was four. I don't know if I brought that up earlier, but yeah, you mentioned yeah. it. I, I have a, you know, a, a terrible fear of doctors and I wait, like I'm telling you at least a week, like I have to be suffering for a week before I say, all right, I'm going to go to the doctor. And this night, instead of waiting a week, I waited like 60 seconds. And I, and believe me, I said, this isn't a heart attack. It's probably gas, it's probably something stupid. Let me go outside. I went outside and I initially, again, here's another thing that I said to myself that I would never do. If this is a heart attack and I fall on the ground right here, all of these people are going to think I was drinking here all day and I'm just drunk. They might move me over to the side or get the bouncer who's going to like squirt water on me for 20 minutes before calling an ambulance. They're going to think it's alcohol. I hadn't even had a drink yet. So even to have the conscious that I feel like that's the third thing to have the conscious effort to in that moment, realize that I should go to the bouncer and say, if I fall over, I'm having a heart attack. It's not alcohol. I didn't drink. So I kind of feel like that was the third thing. Then, uh, you know, I wait like maybe one more minute. And then I tell the bouncer to call the ambulance. He goes, are you sure? I said, yes. So then they get there anyway. I, I'm, I don't want to do a minute by minute here, but as soon as the ambulance gets here, they put me in the ambulance and they, Tell me I'm having a heart attack. And then they say, you're the luckiest man alive because the, the largest or highest renowned cardiology hospital is two and a half minutes from this location. And I want to remind you that the girl's house that I was at was 45 minutes away from that location. They would have probably took, took me to a closer uh, hospital that I, I don't believe I would have made it because there was major complications, which I'll get into later. But uh, so well, now I'm, I just okay. want to I just want to stop you for one second because I want to I want to help you paint this picture because I know okay. you so well. <laughs> Paul mentioned before that he didn't realize what an anxious person he was. Well, <laughs> the other people around him understand what an anxious person he is. We've always that doesn't mean that doesn't mean I realized it. Like, no, yeah. of, no course, of course, absolutely. Yeah. So when Paul first told me this story, first of all, he calls me like a week later to tell me he died. 
<laughs> and he was like, because it happened on my birthday. And he was like, I didn't want to ruin before your birthday. I didn't want to. Yeah. He was like, I didn't want to ruin your birthday. I was like, ruin my birthday. It would have only ruined my birthday if you didn't get revived and come back to life. So yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he calls me, he's telling me this story and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm clutching my chest. And I said to the bouncer, you know, ah, oh, you know, I, could you call an ambulance? I think I'm having a heart attack for, for Paul to be that calm when he thinks he's having a heart attack is huge to me. Like for me, I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing for him to be that calm. And, I, and honestly, I believe that calmness, you being able to maintain that level of calmness is probably what really saved your life. That it wasn't a much worse heart attack. I mean, you died, so it was pretty bad, but <laughs> you came back. So, But also, I want to say that I think there's, um, there's something to be said about that connection with your intuition afterwards, to be able to have, to recognize all of these things, right? To recognize, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go there at 630. I'm going to go there at 830. Something's telling me to do that and to go with that. Then to be in, in the place and, and think if something happens to me, if I pass out, these people are going to think I'm drunk and, you know, nobody's going to rush to get me help. Like all of that is your intuition. Um, and, and when you're an anxious person that hasn't recognized that he has anxiety, this goes to show that you were so out of touch with your own intuition, with what your own body is trying to tell you, because that's what anxiety is. It's your body trying to send all these signals. And because you're not paying attention, you know, you're doing all this other stuff to kind of run away from the signals that your body is trying to give you. Yeah. But I just want to correct you, Vanessa, because <laughs> Because I, I took, I feel it's the IO, not the, IU, the, the the psychedelics that I took is what changed me that yeah. day. I would have never, I would have never done it. Clarity with psilocybin mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah, but that, but that's what I'm saying. That that goes to show how much you're you shifted in terms of your intuition before yeah. with all of the anxiety, you would have maybe just panicked and would have made maybe careless decisions. I would, no, I wouldn't have panicked. I would have went on like nothing was happening. And then I would have dropped. You would have I, denied. I, I would have yeah. I'll deal with it tonight. If I still feel it tonight, maybe. Yeah. You would have denied. Tomorrow, tomorrow turns into the next day. Right. It's denial of the uncomfortable. And now that you got this, this, uh, this epiphany of being able to see, oh, this is something that my body's trying to tell me that you were able to make clearer decisions. Exactly. Yeah. So, so on that note, so now I'm on my way to the hospital in the ambulance, knowing that it's close. And, uh, you know, as soon as we pull up to the hospital, they open the back doors and there's like a team of 20 people and they're, you know, they have all the machines ready and they're connecting me to all this stuff and they're transferring me from one bed, whatever, from the, uh, from the, whatever you call the wheel thing, whatever, the uh, gurney, whatever. The stretcher. The, the stretcher, yeah. So they're, they're bringing me through the hospital and, and now it's like, I'm looking at the ceiling. It's almost like a movie when they're rushing someone through and you see the ceiling tiles going quick. And I'm like, I just want to relax. Like, I feel like I'm ready to calm down and close my eyes and that's it. And then again, I hate, hate using the words like a movie screen. It's like they're telling you, no, Paul, stay with us. Stay with us. And I'm like, wow, that sounds familiar. I've heard <laughs> doctors and nurses screaming, no, you can't close your eyes. Stay with us. But I, it, I didn't make the connection. I, I still wasn't realizing that I think I'm about to die and they don't want, they're like, you know, you have a daughter and they're grabbing my face. Don't stay with me. 
And anyway, the long story short is at some point I forget that that's happening and I wake up in a dream world. And the dream world is I'm at a wedding. I don't know if it's important to say that the guys and girls had on these shiny, glittery, like not pink, but like a, a, a dark pink maroon, like sparkly suits. And it was like, it was my wedding. And they were calling me out to the dance floor and I'm, I'm headed to the dance floor. And, you know, it's almost like the, the 80s. Everyone's like, oh, like, you know, Paul, come on, come on. <laughs> so I'm, I'm walking out to this. Well, I feel like it's three minutes. But again, the time when this stuff happens, you don't know. Uh, it feels like it's three minutes. And when I get to the dance floor and I turn around, it's like a group of people that I don't know. And then I wake up. By the way, I forgot to say that the floor, the walls, and the ceiling at this wedding was stainless steel. It was like just very, very bright stainless steel, the whole entire huge room. So now I wake up, I'm in the elevator, which is stainless steel all around. And for the first second, all of the doctors are like, like you, or I just see the motion. I don't hear their words, but I, I'm still in that coming out of that wedding. And I, or oh, this is what I hear. Oh boy. And then slowly you hear, all right, he's back. Give him, give him like whatever they want to yeah. inject me. And now I remember I'm in a heart attack. They turned, they said, you just flatlined. You got to stay with us. And I'm like, at wow. that point, that point is when the realization came in. You could die here. At that point, I really, like, I was a little nervous when I heard it was a heart attack, but they assured me, like, it's right up the block. Like you said, I was never this calm. Mm -hmm. At that point, a little bit more reality kind of set in. I was, like, right, wide awake after that. And just to hurry the story along, they take me to a cat lab. That's where they put these uh, stents in your heart and however they do it. Uh, I've, you know, my father had stents put in. I never asked him, dad, how long was the procedure? How long did it take? Were you scared? I have no idea how they do this. All I know is I got into the room. The guy said, I'm not going to feel anything that he's going to give me a local anesthetic, I guess in my arm or whatever he did, but he goes, you're going to be awake. And I could tell just by the vibe in the room that it was supposed to take like five minutes. Like, I feel like this is a procedure that would take 45 minutes if there, if it isn't an emergency scenario. But if a doctor feels like if we don't get this in, this guy's going to die, they could probably do it in five minutes. Okay, so he's like panically thinking I'm going to die. He's talking to the doctor, knowing I'm awake, pretty much saying, we got to get this in. We just lost him. I feel like it's going to happen again. This is a bad one. And then... A minute turned into five minutes, five minutes turned into 10 minutes. When it got to an hour, it ends up taking two hours and 15 minutes. But at the at right, right about the middle point, I was like, I can't explain this. Like they told me don't move when they started. And I was like, maybe one shoulder on, on the rest, the other one up in the air. It was killing me. And my heart was still like a level eight pain heart attack because it was still in arrest. It was still doing whatever it was doing. They called it tombstoning because by the way, I had a blockage of the Widowmaker. So it's pretty much the whole left side of my heart wasn't getting any blood. And they say for every minute or two that that goes by, it, it you, your heart literally dies, no recovering from it, like by 1%. So I, I'm not going to sit here and do the math and say 120 minutes divided by two times that, like 60% of my heart should be dead and unrecovered right now. Wow. And miraculously, it's not, it's not perfect. It was damaged. They said it's very light, but your heart's beating fine and 
they didn't say like we see that there's 60 percent of it it's dead i'm pretty much one percent to five percent lower than the act the suction rate of a completely healthy child so it's normally that there would be a pacemaker needed like so much worse than what it was yeah well, with all the drinking we've done in our life then <laughs> I think we're good. you're good <laughs> so uh I, what i was going to say is and uh i i don't feel like i ever got into the other part of the story but the point i'm trying to make is at an hour in where i i, I wasn't going to make it i said i'm going to move the woman grabbed my face and said, she said, she's literally looked me dead in the eye and said, you move, you're dead. That's what she said. Then I'm going to tell you, like, I went from feeling disastrous pain, the most fear in the world, everything in that moment, it started to shift into exactly what I felt under the mushrooms without having mushrooms. So I don't know if Danny could take over on that. But basically, I looked at the machine. I started saying to myself, wait a second, there is nothing to fear. And then I started like the machine. I said, like, I'm I'm the machine, I'm the doctors, I'm the, you know, I'm everything these people are gonna handle. And if they don't, like, and then I realized I remembered the whole mushroom ceremony. And that's when you want to say I did get religious because I thought this was the end. I basically said, Jesus, if this is my time, I have no fear, I'm ready to go. And I was saying that for the last hour, and I had no pain and no no other feeling at that time like i i just went through the rest of that with no pain wow now danny i don't I'm know not I'm, gonna gonna lie, add... I'm a little choked up and emotional <laughs> right now uh, that's all right i'm gonna <laughs> add to this story just uh just for other people that have different beliefs and let's say i do at least at this point and believe me i'm trying to believe because if if this part of the story is true it's a miracle ironically in the ambulance when I'm being told that I'm dying. I don't want to die alone. Like, so I pick up my phone and I want to call my ex-girlfriend. That's who I really want to call. I don't call her. I mean, the immediate ex. I call my mother, but then I end up calling the ex before the immediate ex, mm -hmm. who has turned to God and on a very, very high level. I mean, to a level where, I mean, he's, I feel he's like very she's, spiritual now. he's anointed. Like she feels like she has healing a, a little bit of abilities like with whatever church she's going to and no pun intended to it it, it is what it is but she basically this is what i'm saying because i'm a mathematical guy so i'm saying i was i got there at 8 30 and I, this ex got to the hospital at exactly the one hour point that i was in there and then wow. she told me that jesus sat next to her and told her that she's in there he's in there with me holding my heart and he's not going to die today now that was really powerful and again i told you in my own experience prior to my ex like there's jesus has come into my thoughts and went on these pivotal moments where i'm supposed to die and the fact that my heart had no damage it's it the, by the way i left out of the story the next day the doctor told me it's a miracle like miracle meaning he's saying you should be dead and they're doing case studies like they have the video of him trying to get the stent in and it not going in. I'm not saying there's a video of me, but there's my heart. And all of the doctors, by the time I left the hospital, by the end of the week, are studying this video. Like it's it's like everything else. Like when a cop does a shooting, I hate to bring up that angle. And there's a videotape and they'll take everyone to the drawing board the next day at the wow. precincts and say, hey, listen, 
you know, we were torn and trained this. This is going to be all over the news. You got to do it A, B, C, D. Like, you know, yeah. now this is a new case of this rare it's like thing. That studying, it's like studying the game tape after the football game, right? To, <laughs> to come up with strategy. That's a better analogy than the. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I don't know. Maybe I'll stir up your crowd. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I was saying is like, it was a leading cardiology hospital. So I think on staff, meaning 24 hours, they have six or seven or eight cardiologic surgeons there that routinely do these stents. And you have to understand every 15 minutes, another one was called into the room. By the end, there was nine cardiologists. And the whole time they were screaming, Oh, this guy's never going to make it. I don't understand why that's not happening this way. I'm listening to this. Like, I think I said three times, I can hear you. Like, you know, you don't have to say that. Like, it's not helping each other. You just said, give me the scalpel. I understand that. But you guys keep reiterating that I'm going to die, but I'm sitting here listening to this. But anyway, so the next day he said, it's absolutely never in his career did he see someone go past 40 minutes of a full blockage and not either 90% of the people die. The 10% that don't, uh, like they need pacemakers. They may be making another year or two if they're lucky. Like to go two hours and 20 minutes and me still be here, someone upstairs likes you. And I, don't, he, and I think he was Jewish, but he said, someone upstairs likes you and I'm just going to leave it at that. So that's my nutshell. I never told the second half of the story, but we're going way too long. I don't want to overdo this <clears throat> no i mean it's beautiful the whole story is i mean this is why i wanted to have you on to tell this story i feel like it's a beautiful story it's inspirational i mean i feel like a lot of people would be like really inspired by this story and i think people need to hear it so thank you for sharing that um I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you feel after the, these two very poignant experiences that happened in a very short span of time. How do you feel now having just gone through all that? Now that you're a few weeks out after your surgery and it's like you've had time to kind of think about it and process a lot of it. How do you feel in general about your life and your the direction? That's a very good question. The best way I could describe it is this. Like I said earlier, and I'll be a little bit repetitive, but I feel like I, I'm, I guess I went through therapy for many years and they, they kind of helped me be insightful and, and, and aware of the issues. And, but it was always, how am I going to fix it that I didn't know? And for all of the, the trauma that happened prior to the uh, psychedelics, I know I'm working on it. But would you agree or disagree, Danny? Is having a heart attack an insanely traumatic event? Absolutely. Yeah. And I have no fear. I mean, I had some fear in there for an hour, but when I got out, I had no fear. It's not like I'm like, oh, is my heart going to stop tomorrow? Like I, I feel like I'm over the, the heart attack trauma 100%. So at least I know moving forward, I'm going to have more traumas and they're not going to affect me. Unless, of course... They're hooked up to these guys. And I'll call that, you know what? I'll call any future new trauma as something I'm not worried about. However, I still have to f figure out the triggers. I mean, a trigger is not a trauma. A trigger is a wound of an old trauma. So I have my little dividing board. This is where I had my, you know, experience with psychedelics. 
and I have to now work on this. But I, I, it's so hard to describe. It's those those three times that I said, and again, I only told one of the stories, but the uh, the Matrix moments, they, they're so filling that they're helping me. Like when I get triggered, I'm going to that moment and I'm remembering something that I didn't remember initially because it happened in a second. But I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, that's this. Oh, yeah, that's this. So, I mean, hey, listen, everyone builds their foundation and it's it's you can't rebuild a new foundation overnight, especially when there's already a building on top of it. So you yeah. have to take one piece of the foundation out and put the new one in and another piece and then maybe two years, maybe three years, and it'll be a, a whole life battle. But I say yeah. two to five years is to really undo and really not allow it to affect me moving forward, but then to continue to grow and, and be aware because I feel like if you fall asleep to this stuff, you could fall back into old habits very easily. Sure. If you don't Absolutely. make it in your conscious mind to stay on top of it. Absolutely. This is what we call doing the work, Paul. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like doing the work. I so, want a magic pill still. If anyone out there has the magic pill. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's it, right? Ultimately, it's the awareness of our traumas because a lot of people go through life without f- fully being aware that they have these traumas that are being triggered every time, you know, anytime they they get upset about something or they're hurt or hurt over something. Um, so it, it really is having the awareness. And like you said, now you're in this place where you've been through almost dying. I mean, actually dying, you flatlined, right? You you've been there without fear. So what else can come your way that could possibly scare you? You've already died. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. But you know, triggers, <laughs> triggers have a way of getting around all of that and giving you a nice knockout from time to time. Of course, everyone's in, and those, that's the thing, right? You've, you've spent 51 years building a particular foundation and now you're in a place where you're, you have to unlearn the, the things that you've, you've built that foundation on. And that's what the work is. The work isn't really learning things. It's unlearning things, unlearning the coping mechanisms, unlearning the defense mechanisms, unlearning all of these limiting beliefs, because really that's what you were doing in that mushroom ceremony. You were just breaking these limiting beliefs, these, these ideas that didn't serve you to recognize I'm scared of everything and I don't need to be scared of it at all. Yeah, and like I said, the the, the second wow moment or the, the thing that I learned, uh, which I'm not going to go into the story, but just the point, the the amazing point of it, was that I changed myself for, for again, not the immediate ex, it was the ex before that. I changed myself and who I was to what I thought she wanted in a man. And it wasn't even what she wanted. It's what I perceived, my perception of what she was, her actions were leading me to believe made me convert my whole being to someone else. And I, I, I got freed of that. And that, again, since I don't have, <laughs> I'm not with a, a new girlfriend now, uh, and, I, I, and I probably brought that belief system into the new relationship that, that failed. And then along with what I thought she was, her actions were doing that I should do. And I, I really, it was such an aha moment to just take control of your life back like it, it, it's it's all and again. This is not the ex's fault. Yeah. This is within myself. This is me coping with my insecurities and my fear of abandonment and my fear of losing them or not being enough to overcompensate for myself 
and then overcompensate in such a way that it fails the person. They might have liked the original person better. And when I say the original, the, the real me, they never even met. Yeah. Right. Because I've been hiding me. Yeah. So I really feel like for whoever the next one's going to be, and I'm waiting a really long time, <laughs> but whenever this next person is going to get the real me and, and if they don't like the real me, there's, I'm not going to say flag trigger. It's just, this is who I am. And if you're not feeling it, I'm not feeling you. And that's it. I'm not going to change or shift or anyway, at not even this much. I mean, that's I shouldn't beautiful. say that because everyone's, it depends on the situation. It, it's like that, that Scooby-Doo meme where they take off the, the costume and it's the same person, right? And they kind of like point at each other like, oh my God, it's been me all along. <laughs> and that's really what a lot of this work is. And I, I think sometimes that's what happens um, when we go to therapy, where we're still stuck in this idea that we're victims of somebody else's behavior. And when you start doing this work, you're recognizing, okay, what, ha what did I do to attract this? What did I do to allow this into my life? Because that we tend to live life from a disempowered perspective, right? I'm a victim. Things things happen to me. Um, you know, th this, this person did this to me. But when you start getting into this place of being fully empowered and recognizing that you have full control of your life, that's a whole different ballgame. And that's where you are now where... Yeah, you're going to have anxiety and you're going to have fear. That stuff still exists. We're human beings and it's part of life. But now you have different tools. Now it's like you can't unsee the things that you've seen. And and I think Paul, you've you've definitely seen things that some of us I mean, we'll many of see. us <laughs> will never see. Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So uh, this whole story just really every time I I hear it or when I've I've told a few people this story and I I'm always just floored by it. I'm so glad that you're still here, Paul. Oh, Danny, give me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that you're still here, and I am so happy to hear what you have taken from this these experiences. The fact that you're like, I'm just going to be my authentic self. And if if somebody doesn't like it, you know, that's yeah, okay. They can move on. I mean, that's that in and of itself is such a beautiful thing that so many people never internalize that and never make that decision. Yeah, that's I'm going to say, I mean, full disclosure, I'm probably only 5% my authentic self and 95% still working on the demon. That's why I'm not. But most people connect. don't even recognize that they're not their authentic selves. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, all, all of us, I mean, we've been doing the work for years and there are still parts of, of me that I'm discovering that I'm like, wait a minute, that's not just this morning. We were having a conversation about like certain beliefs that I have that are, I was like, there's like a low level, like subconscious thought sneaking in there every once in a while that I didn't realize. And, you know, I'm, I had, I had a ceremony these past two days. And so that was some of the stuff that came up for me where I was like, oh, wow, there is this part of me that's still operating in an old limiting belief. And I don't need to do that anymore. And so it's consistent. It's, it's, it's life's work. I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing I, the biggest problem I have is I actually I say to myself, no, I'm going to be my authentic self. I'm going to do this, except for the I recognize that the authentic self that I'm pro projecting is actually not me. It's actually that person who still feels he needs validation. 
And like I said, Danny, I mean, I don't know if you want to, I don't want to go into the story, but like I, when I called you excited, you know, a week ago, whatever it was that I had company over, I don't want to name who it was. And I was like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I have all the proof. I know this person, they're going to say that they were there. And like, I could nail this thing down of what really happened this day three years ago, <laughs> but I needed it because it just came up recently. And I believe me, you know what my first thought to any was? I'm going to be my authentic self and I'm going to do this. Like, this is what I want. This is what I feel. Then I realized, no, this is not your authentic self. This is the person that needs the validation. Your authentic self, when you get there, won't need the validation. Yes. Let's make this day continue. It's been beautiful till now. Let it end beautiful. Who cares what happened three years ago? And I really don't even care. But I, but the validation, the ego needs it. Like, I, I need to hear it. Oh, I can't believe that, you know, the bull went under the, it's. And then, and it's interesting because the ego then takes different forms because once it knows that you've caught onto it, now it's going to take on a different form. And yes, then that's, ego, you know, yeah. like that's where you have to be aware of, of the, of the why, right? Um, Carla, who was on um, two weeks ago on the last episode, she has a tendency to ask, well, what's my motive for wanting to say this? or wanting to do this. And when you once you start to ask yourself the motive and be really honest with yourself, you can determine like, in that moment, you were like, wait, but that's me wanting the validation, I don't need the validation. And so now you you step back and you're like, Okay, yeah, I can continue enjoying this day. I don't need to do that because I don't need the validation. And so it's a really good habit to ask yourself what your your true motive is for anything at that point, because your ego is very tricky. And it starts to recognize, okay, now he caught on to me here. Now I'm going to try this other way. And sometimes it'll it'll spiritualize it. You know, once you're on the spiritual path, the ego starts to spiritualize things too. Because now it's like, oh, I can get in here by saying it in a spiritual way. And, and he or she'll believe me. Yeah. I, th there's um, archetypal things that come up. So... Um, I used to feel sometimes that I was schizophrenic. Like I would have different voices in my head saying different things, sometimes making the complete exact opposite arguments to each other. And what I ended up realizing is that we have the Jungian archetypes. So there's the lover, um, which is sometimes referred to as the uh, inner child. There's the warrior that comes out when we need to defend or, you know, we need to fight. Um, you don't want to mean my warrior. Sometimes that warrior is in shadow. You know, the warrior can be afraid to fight. And so we can be afraid to stand up for ourselves like you were talking about earlier. Um, there's the magician who is the creative aspect. The magician is the one that helps us make money and create products or, or you know, an entrepreneurial spirit comes from the wizard um, or the magician. Um, so there's these different archetypes. They all have different needs and different priorities. And so they all look at, the, and then there's almost like the light and dark side, the shadow and the um, empowered versions of each one as well. So it's really like, there's, it's almost like having 10 personalities. And so each one is going to respond to a trauma or a challenge or a trigger in a different way. And so that, you know, you'll, if you continue going into the, the healing work, you'll, you'll start to recognize these voices. I'm finally now in a place where I can kind of recognize the voices. I can recognize which archetype it is based on what the, what the, it says, what my ego says. What its intention is. There's a trigger. The trigger, I have the thought, oh, let me react in this way. Oh, wait, no. 
That's the wounded child. That's the lover who wants attention. Or that's the warrior either being too angry or being too passive. You know, imbalance would be like what you said before. The balance is this is my authentic self. If you don't like it, I don't have to hate you, but I also don't have to be with you. So we can just part ways and it can be peaceful. And it's okay that you don't you don't particularly like my personality or whatever it is, right? Like that's like more of a the archetype imbalance. So, um, you know, there's a lot more as you as you continue to delve deeper. But um, yeah, like I said, like I'm going to be honest, even on this cast, Vanessa said a couple of things that triggered me, not towards Vanessa, but towards my story. And I wanted to go jump out there and say, oh no, but what about, and explain it. And I was uh -huh. like, no, nah, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. That's huge. I know the story. Like I, I know it. You don't have to know it, Vanessa. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I know yeah. what I know. I know what happened in my life and I know it. It's my, it's my reality. I don't yeah. have to, you know, get triggered by what I, like I'm getting triggered by what somebody else thought about my about my reality like yeah. that's pretty much you know what i mean that's pretty much what it is like yeah. i'm getting triggered by someone that's not even in my life anymore because i feel like if they were sitting here they would have said you see you did and i I wanted to be like oh, but that didn't happen and i don't want to explain it to you so you could validate me and make me be the victim <laughs> and i could feel so good about it but i was the victim but i don't need to say that <laughs> I don't need I don't need you to validate what I know what I was. But I, I was part of the problem. So I... Well, thank you so much for coming on here and being so vulnerable and telling your story. We yeah. really appreciate it. You know that we love you. Cookie is just becoming unbearable. I don't know why he's whining so much. <laughs> I'm but... gonna take him out just now. Thank you so much right. for I love you guys. Here. Thank you so much. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for for again being vulnerable and sharing the story with you know with our our viewers and our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um it, it really is a, a powerful testament to the healing ability, the healing power of plant medicines. And I, I'm really grateful that you're sharing the story. I'm grateful that it had such an impact on you, and I'm grateful that you're still alive to tell that story. Thank you guys so much. I just want to say one thing to my great, great, great grandchild who's watching this. I hope the generation <laughs> curse has been broken. I love you guys. You don't have to hope you're breaking it. <laughs> well, thank you everyone else for being on, on the broadcast and listening to Paul's story. It's really such a beautiful and inspiring story. I do want to just announce, and I was hoping Vanessa was going to talk about this, but she's going to have to deal with cooking now. Um, we just finished a book. Uh, Vanessa and I wrote this book together, How to Work With Your Dreams to Integrate Your Shadow. You can download this book for free if you go to healinyourdreams.com. Uh, you just put in your email address and we will send you the PDF. Um, it is really, uh, honestly, it came out really great. I'm proud of us. Uh, and basically it teaches you how to look at the subconscious symbolism, the symbolism in your dreams, how to interpret it, how to decode messages from your subconscious that are being broadcast through your dreams. So you can check that out at healinyourdreams.com. Uh, I also want to acknowledge our sponsor, um, Delta 8 Gummies from Brave Botanicals. You can check that out here. 
Do you want free weed? Well, of course you do. John Bush here to tell you how to get it. My health supplement company, Brave Botanicals, is giving away a free five-pack of delicious Delta 8 THC gummies. What's Delta 8 THC, you might ask? It's just like regular THC, except it's derived from the hemp plant. And the high you get from Delta 8 is much more mellow and calm without the anxiety or paranoia many people experience with regular THC. The best part is, thanks to a clever loophole, Delta 8 THC is completely legal at the federal level and is legal in most states, including many where cannabis is still banned. If you want to relax, get better sleep, and even relieve chronic pain, go to FreeD8Gummies.com to get a free five-pack of tasty Delta 8 gummies shipped to you today. That's FreeD, the number 8, gummies.com I also want to take a minute to talk to you about our offerings here at Sovereign Love. If you go to sovereignlove.myc, you can check out our offerings page. We offer a free exploratory session. We'll spend 30 minutes with you on Zoom and talk about any of the things, talk about what's present in your life right now. Is there a struggle that you're going through? Is there something that you need some coaching on, some guidance on? We do relationship readings, um, intuitive readings. Vanessa reads Aztec birth charts, which is another great way to kind of catalog the archetypes that you have present uh, in your chart. We do tower readings. We do sacred ceremonies like we were just talking about with Paul. Um, so if you want to check out our offerings at sovereignlove.nyc slash offerings, uh, we would really appreciate that. Follow us on social media. We're on all the big tech platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Um, we don't really use Twitter, but um, YouTube, of course. But also I want to talk about minds.com float.app and odyssey.com. These are three platforms that are anti-censorship. You hear me talk about it every episode. The big tech platforms are censoring any point of view that they don't like, uh, especially right now with the pandemic. They're going in heavy with um, what they're calling medical misinformation. So a lot of the stuff we talk about, about psychedelics, which has not actually been a lot of these therapies or, or these methods even though there are clinical trials happening, a lot of them are not actually approved by the FDA yet. Um, and so, you know, some of this information could get labeled as medical misinformation and we could get banned uh, from major platforms. So follow us on minds.com, float.op and odyssey.com. Odyssey is kind of like a YouTube alternative and it's blockchain based. So nothing can be censored. Once you put a video up, this Paul story will be forever on the blockchain. Um, so check us out on those platforms as well. Thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Um, we know there's lots of other things you could be doing on a Sunday afternoon. So thanks again and happy Sovereign Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. 
If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, visit us at patreon.com slash sovereign love stream. Thank you for listening.